A hand clap of praise. Come on, he alone is worthy. Come on, he alone is worthy. Oh, how I magnify you, Jesus. Oh, how I exalt the name of Jesus. There's no name like the name of Jesus. What an awesome opportunity to be in his presence today. I am so thankful for what God is doing. I believe that we don't have to wait on end time revival. I believe it's here. I believe if we'll just step into it and receive what God wants us to receive, that our children are going to come home. Come on. I believe your lost loved ones are going to walk through those doors. Come on, I refuse to believe that my children are not going to be saved. Come on, because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. What an honor it is to be here. We love Pastor Urshan and his family. The Mahaney's and Urshans go way back. And I don't take it lightly. I believe God put us together for a reason, for such a time as this. If you have your Bibles, your iPads, iPhones, Kindles, Nooks, Samsungs, as long as it ain't the Note 5. We don't need that kind of fire in here. We want the Holy Ghost in fire. Luke 15, 17 through 24. How many have family that's lost that used to be in church? Lift your hands. Man, there's three services a day right there. Because I believe that the Lord's bringing them in. I believe that the Lord is bringing our family in. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, and had compassion, and ran, and fell on his neck, and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. I'm going to tell you right now that the prodigals are going to start coming from all over this city. In the name of Jesus. Come on, I speak the word of faith over your lost loved ones. Come on, sin and the devil's had them long enough. God is about to bring them back into the fold.
Father, I worship you. I magnify your name. There is none like you. There is none beside you. Lord, I need you to touch me right now, God, and anoint me like I've never been anointed before. Touch my body. Touch my mind, Lord. Let me be able to hear your voice. Now, in the name of Jesus, let the gifts of the Spirit begin to operate in this place. God, we need you right now. In Jesus' name. You may be seated. I was, it's been about four or five years ago, but I was on a fast. Everybody looks at me funny when I tell them I was on a fast. It's coming off the fast that gets me. Paul buffeted his body and I buffet mine. And y'all have men's conferences up here? Well, I was at a men's conference in Arkansas, and I don't understand why they get all of us men together and they want us to hold hands. I mean, I was raised, you didn't hold a feller's hand. So I was at uh, Arkansas District Men's Conference, and I'm the ADD poster child, so I usually don't preach very long because I'd lose my own attention. I just can't come up with all that stuff to say, I guess. I don't know, but I went outside of the men's conference to air dry my hands with that hairy-knuckled feller that I had to join up with. And there, on the Arkansas campground, there's a pavilion. And I was sitting under that pavilion when up walks an elder. His name's Bill Dean. He's passed since in the last couple years, but... He walks up and sits down, and we begin to, he didn't know who I was. I'd never met him before, and we begin to talk, and he was a paratrooper in World War II. He had stories, make your hair stand up. You see, during that fast, the Lord had been speaking to me, and God told me that I'm going to use you in the end time because there's going to be a revival that sweeps across the North American continent where the drug addict's going to walk through our doors. Come on, were the alcoholics going to walk through the doors? Were the homosexuals going to come through the doors? Were the backsliders are going to walk through the doors? All of a sudden, Brother Dean began to shake, and he looked at me, and he said, I don't know who you are, young man, but I was praying this morning, and God wants me to tell you something. He said that there's a revival about to sweep North America. And he began to say the same thing, that the drug addicts are going to come in, that the alcoholics are going to come in. Come on, I'm telling you, I'm seeing it all over the world. God is gathering his people together for a harvest and a revival unlike we had ever seen before. Pittsburgh, Kansas. It was in the early 70s. I know I don't look like I was alive in the early 70s. Well, that wasn't that funny. My parents went to Pittsburgh, Kansas to start a home missions church. And Pittsburgh was predominantly a Catholic town. And the biggest church there was called the Trinity Full Gospel Church. And it was a big, massive church. And it was like our second week being in Pittsburgh, Kansas. And we were just driving around trying to get the lay of the land, you know. And we come driving up by this park. And there's probably 300 people coming from the park to a church that was catty corner to the park. Y'all know what catty corner is? All right, just checking. I've been up in Ohio before, and they go, what's catty corner? So 
the whole crowd was filing across in front of our car. And we were just sitting there. My dad had his window down, and this guy made his first mistake. He walked up to the window and said, excuse me, are you our guest speaker? My dad said, I sure am. <laughs> they said, well, come on, you're late. So they began to walk us into this Trinity Full Gospel Church. When I tell you, it was a massive church. We'd never seen anything like it. All five of us Mahaney's were walking in like a little row of ducks and theater seating, and all of a sudden they made their second mistake. They handed my dad, who's a nut, the microphone. Now, when I tell you, my dad slid up to that pulpit, all 300 and whatever he weighed. He got up and he told him, he said, he told him the name brand of his coat, the name brand of his tie, the name brand of his shirt, the name brand of his socks. I'm glad he stopped there. <laughs> name brand of his shoes. And he told him, everything I own has a name on it or it's bootleg. He said, if you got a baptism and it doesn't have a name on it, you got a bootleg baptism. Well, that went over like a pork chop at a bar mitzvah. And as quick as they ushered us in, guess what? But as we was walking out of the church, there was two families in that big church that God had revealed Jesus' name baptism to. And they followed us out to our car, and that's what we used to start our church with in Pittsburgh, Kansas. They began to persecute my father. They tried to blow up the church. My dad said he didn't mind that so much, but he was in it. <laughs> we were sitting on the, on the porch one day, me and my father, and these two carloads of men pull up. And uh, uh, this man gets out of the car, and he, he, he hollers out, Hey, are you Mahaney? I think he called him Fat Boy, too. But I think it was, Hey, Fat Boy, you Mahaney? <laughs> My dad said, yeah, that's me. He said, well, we're here to whip you. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you know, little WWF. <laughs> I, I don't even know if they call it WWF anymore. <laughs> so they got out of the car. And my dad took his coat off, and he laid it over the porch. And he told him, he said, well, come on. He said, I believe I got enough of the Holy Ghost in me to let you whip me. And that old guy put his foot on the steps, and my dad poked him right in the chest. He said, but you better pray I don't backslide during this beating, Jack. <laughs> he told him, I walked over bigger men than you getting in where the fight was at. He said, you either start whipping or I'm going to start casting out devils. And them guys scattered. They left their car. They ran out through the neighborhood. The last three years of my father's life, we traveled together, and I picked his brain because he was an evangelist for 34 years, and, and I asked him what made him being an, an evangelist, and my dad said he was in his office one night after church, and an audible voice spoke to him, told him to look up. My father said when he looked up, he was off in another dimension, and he said he was walking down a path. And he said, off in the distance, he could hear people screaming and crying in agony and torture. My dad said the further he got down this path, he could feel a blast of heat hitting him. 
and he could hear the most torturous, anguished cries of people. My father told me he walked over to the edge of this pit and he looked down and he said there were people tumbling and screaming and falling in hell. My dad said the Lord told him, now look, look across this pit. My dad said when he looked across, there was tens and tens of thousands of people. And my father told me, he said, the Lord said, look in their face. And my dad said, what stood out is he could see every feature in their face. He said, the Lord spoke to him and said, if you don't evangelize, their blood's going to be on your hands. So he gets up, he leaves, he goes home, and that night he has a dream. I have a I had a twin brother, my brother and sister were twins, and they were born on my second birthday. So we all three had the same birthday. My dad said it was because of his oneness, but. <laughs> my dad would introduce us to sing and call us Charlie's Angels. <laughs> and in that dream, my mother was rocking the, my brother and sister, and they were dead. And my dad walks up to her in, in, in his dream and says, what happened? And she points at him and says, you wouldn't evangelize. So my dad gets up. He starts praying. And he says, Lord, if this is from you, show my wife the same dream. Before the dawn could break, my mother had the same dream. And she walked up and said, I don't know what's going on, but we got to evangelize. So my dad read that to be an evangelist, you had to have a trailer. You ever seen those little teardrop trailers? That's what he got for us, all five of us, to pile up in. And to pull it, we had a 1965 Buick Wildcat. Anybody remember those? The front of it went out in them trees yonder. That car had an emblem on it, but the front of it was so long, you needed binoculars to see it. Us Mahaney men, we're not fixer-uppers, we're demolishers. Trust me, we are. If you see me with a tool belt, you may grab your women and kids and get out of there. Because something bad's about to happen. Well, this old 1965 Buick Wildcat didn't have any taillights. So my dad got this idea that he had run wires from the battery to the window, then wires from the taillights to the window. And when us kids would see the cops, we'd say police, and he'd rub the wires together. Taillights. You can't make this up. I'm just. But my favorite feature was every time we made a left-hand turn, the horn would honk. Guess which way every revival we went to. You had to make a left turn, and here's the Mahaney's. Honk. Me and my brother and sister, we've had some prayer meetings in the back of that car pulling up to revival. We had such powerful prayer meetings, if we'd had a visitor, they'd have got the Holy Ghost. We was in an outdoor service in Wharton, Texas. And if you knew my dad, he always had something to say. He wasn't never speechless. And all of a sudden, my dad was a preaching away, and he just stopped. and had this real shocked look on his face. So we all turned around and looked. And our car was on fire. God had finally taken that car in a sacrifice. And if you'd look down on the front row, you'd see the Mahaney kids.
Thank you, Jesus. God used my father greatly. When I tell you he is the only man that I've ever seen, we was in El Dorado, Arkansas, 1978. There was a man there that was born blind. He was born without the things in his head to be able to see. He was 50 years old, had never seen anything in his life. My father walked down, put his hands over that man's eyes, and he said, I speak the, the word of faith, be healed in Jesus' name. In an instant, God created everything, come on, in his head. This man jumps up and begins to scream, my God, I can see, I can see. Come on, my God is still the healer. Can I tell you if he did it in 1978 for Charlie Mahaney? Come on, he can do it 2017 for Nick Mahaney. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We was in uh, Texas, and after my dad would preach, I'd always come up on the platform and sit with him because it was, it was great to watch him interact with people. I mean, if he was, he was fat, he called you skinny. If you was bald, he called you curly. If you had a beard, he'd call you grizzly. And just something, he just liked to interact with people. And this little boy, about 12, walks up on the platform, and he'd been hit in the eye with a rock, and it was real milky. And he walked up to my father, and he said, Brother Mahaney, I believe that if you pray for me, God's going to heal my eye. Now, that puts some pressure on you, doesn't it? You know what my father said? Well, I know he'll heal your eye. Come here, son. Put his hand over that boy's eye. He didn't spit in his face, didn't mess his hair up, didn't turn his tie around, didn't pull his shirt tail out, didn't scream all over him. He just said, I speak the word of faith. Be healed in Jesus' name. And I watched when he moved his hand, that eye turned brown just like the other eye. Come on, God is the healer. I seen the time my mother and father would get out and pray over our gas tank. See, we don't have to worry about that stuff now. That's why our faith isn't like it should be. Come on, we go home. We got all the latest things that we need. We're not worried about gas. We're not worried about anything. We're just worried about maybe how long a vacation we can take. But we didn't have anything. And I'd watch my mom and dad get out and pray over that gas tank. Say, God, we got to get to the next revival. And they'd get in and they'd head on out. We were in uh, Louisiana. And there was a boy in that church. He was about 17. When he was born, he was born where he couldn't move at all. His limbs were all pulled in and he laid, he was set hunched over. During the song service, my father walked down and began to pray for the boy. He was in a wheelchair. And everybody was looking at him about how y'all are looking at me right now. And nothing happened. So my dad goes and sits down. In about five minutes, all of a sudden that boy's hand come out. He began to move and wiggle his fingers. All of a sudden, in another five minutes, that other hand comes popping out. When I tell you, it looked like a hand took and straightened his back into, and popped him in, in, into place. By the end of the service, he was standing behind that wheelchair with his legs shaking. You see, this was a little bitty small town in Louisiana where everybody knows everybody. 
And there's only two restaurants, and this family went to the same restaurant every Sunday. But this Sunday, it was different. Guess who come walking in with a family this Sunday? That night, you couldn't get within a mile of that church. Everybody in the town was parked all up and down the streets. They had packed into that church. They had to raise the windows up because people were all around. The, come on, you let somebody push a wheelchair out of here. Come on, you let somebody go back to their community. They were blind and their eyes open. Come on, God's going to bring the miracle signs and wonders in this last days. God's going to have a church. God's going to have a strong church. We had just started evangelizing and we had one revival and it was Christmas time and we had nowhere to go and somebody let us use an old house up in northern Missouri. I mean, it was so old when the wind blew, your hair moved, you know. We had nothing. When I tell you we had nothing and I remember hearing my mother tell my dad, well, I don't know what we're going to feed him. We have nothing. My dad tells her, sit the table. She sets the table. Now, if you want to hear mask, pandemonium, you say dinner time in the Mahaney house. It sounded like a herd of wildebeest running through the house. We come sliding up to the table, and all the plates and the glasses and the dishes are out there. Nothing in them. We sit down. My dad says, all right, I'm going to say grace. I look at my brother and go, he has lost it. Lord, we thank you for this food. I'm like. He said, bless it to the nourishment of our bodies. Sanctify it. In Jesus' name. My father walks to the door. There's two men standing there. They have sacks of groceries. The man goes, look, I don't know who you are. I was driving by here, and it's like I was compelled to pull in here and give you this food. Come on, the Bible tells us I was young. Come on, I was old, but I'd never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed out begging for bread. Come on, you ever wondered about that scripture? You see what I'm doing right now? I'm living in the overflow of the righteousness of my father. Come on, that's why I'm righteous. I want my family not to ever have to beg for bread. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Thousands and thousands received the Holy Ghost under Charles Mahaney's ministry. I watched him cast out devils just about everywhere we went. We don't like to hear that stuff no more. Oh, I've had them bring them to me. They're like speaking out all these voices. They go, go pray for them. I go, you go pray for them. <laughs> What's wrong with your prayer? But I seen him take dominion and command demons to flee. And they fled when he began to pray the name of Jesus over them. You'd think after seeing all this that I would have been the next one to Bible college. Truth of the matter, the only thing that stood between me and college was high school. I kind of threw a kink in the chain there. They had me play Abraham Lincoln in the third grade. I was the only boy who could grow a beard. 
I went into math class one day, and the teacher said, if you had 50 cents in one pocket and 40 in the other, what would you have? I said, somebody else's pants, man. I don't know. So I probably won't wow you with a big, long word. But you think after seeing all of this, but can I tell you right now, you can't rely on what your mom and dad has. Come on, you can't rely on what your husband has. You can't rely on what your grandpa had. You better find Jesus for yourself because if you don't find him for yourself, you're going to come to a crossroads and when you do, you're not going to make the right decision. And I'd never found him for myself. Redfield, Arkansas, 1983, senior camp. Jerry Dean was my youth president. Aubrey Giroux was my youth secretary. I came to camp that week with two-fifths of vodka and two ounces of weed. And I stayed out in the woods smoking dope all week. And a guy kind of got onto me, started watching me going in and out of the woods. <laughs> and so he caught me smoking dope, and they took me to Brother Dean. Uh, I'll never forget, they had me in the boardroom. And Brother, uh, Senior, Brother Bobby McCool Sr. flushed my marijuana. And Brother Dean asked him, he said, Brother McCool, what do you think we need to do with this boy? Brother McCool began to weep, and he said, Brother Dean, if this was my son, I'd be begging for mercy. Brother Dean stood over me that day, and he pointed his finger in my face. He said, Nick Mahaney, I ought to call the police. I ought to call your dad, and I ought to call Brother Lumpkin. He said, but the Holy Ghost is telling me that you're at a crossroads in your life, and if you don't find something here, your life's never going to be the same again. So he let me go back to the dorm, and I, I immediately started drinking. That was on a Thursday night, and I walked into church that night, and I was almost drunk. And before the first song was over, I got up, tapped my friends, and said, Look, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in this message. I'll never be back again. Seventeen years old, I walked out of that campground on the backside of the cross. In one year, I was a full-blown alcoholic. I'm talking where my hands shook like this. And the only way I could get my hands to stop shaking like that was to get up in the morning and start drinking. And when my hands would calm down enough, I'd start smoking dope and drinking. I'd go into alcoholic blackouts. I've awakened in ditches, vomit, blood all over you. Or wake up and you're out, out in the middle of the woods and your car's wrapped around the trees. You've been thrown from your car. You don't even know how you got there. Or the worst one is wake up in jail and think, oh, Lord, what have I done? And don't even, you're afraid to ask why you're in jail. But you see, God has sent people in your lives, but I promise you the devil will send people into your lives. Can I tell you, young men, that God has a woman just for you? You don't have to go out of the church to find her. Come on. God has a woman that'll be good to you, won't cheat on you. Come on, the devil's got one too. Eyelashes out to here. (laughs) 
wearing that gownless evening strap? That's one of them social security jokes. You catch it after 65. <laughs> Young ladies, God has a man for you. Come on, you don't have to go out of the church. God has a man that won't come home and beat you up drunk, won't spend all your money on dope and alcohol, but the devil's got one for you too. Got some little pencil neck looking guy. Got one whisker poking out here, one down here, and one over there. I mean, if you're going to grow a beard, grow a beard. Reminds you of the scripture, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. He got his britches way down here. I don't even know how they get their wallet out. Well, the devil began sending people into my life. I was at a party. I was 18 years old. They brought out a mirror, big mirror, had long white lines on it. Guy said, man, you like to party, try one of these. And I snorted my first line of cocaine. Man, he was right. Man, I, I did some cocaine and I partied for days. The music had come on. Look at me, I'm a big fat white guy. I'd be the first one to the dance floor. I can't dance. <laughs> if y'all remember back in the early 80s, that's when all over the news outlets, it was the, they were talking about the most cheapest, potent form of cocaine that had ever hit America. And it was crack cocaine. Well, I couldn't wait to try some crack. And I got me a radio antenna. You could tell when all the crackheads are around. There wasn't a radio antenna in the whole county. Put Brillo down in it. Put, my, put a crack rock on there, and I can hear it now as that flame hits that rock, and it began to sizzle. And when I blew that smoke out, I was higher than I'd ever been before in my life. That moment on, I was helplessly and hopelessly addicted to crack cocaine. I mean, I've got down and picked through the carpet. Any of y'all done that? Get mad because you put a breadcrumb on your pipe? And the only way that I could support my habit was I became a crack dealer. And we used to make big patties of crack cocaine, and I'd go in, in a projects in Little Rock, and I'd sell crack cocaine. I remember one time I went to an apartment, and a lady came to the door that I, was, I knew her husband and she, had, she was pregnant. She had a little kid standing under her stomach. She had one pulling on her dress. She didn't have water, lights, heat, food, but she gave me every dime she had for crack cocaine. Come on, we got to realize who we are, church. Come on, right now, somewhere, somebody is putting down a crack pipe, and they're just waiting on somebody like you, come on, to come up to their door. Say, man, can I invite you to church? Come on, we got what they need. I began running around with a bunch of bikers in Little Rock, and their, their drug of choice was methamphetamines. The first time I did a line of meth, I washed my car, the neighbor's car, everybody on the whole block's car. 
I talked so much, my tongue was sunburnt or meth. I stayed up 14 days one time on meth. Now, I'm just going to tell y'all, your body ain't meant to stay up 14 days. And what we would do is we would go to the different places, like the, the grocery stores and stuff. Back then, you could go in and get what you wanted to make meth. Now, they've got it pretty much locked down. And we would just gather it up and walk out. And y'all have to understand, I was the little guy. We was a bunch of big biker dudes with hair and beards and tattoos everywhere, and we just walk out. We only had one guy try to stop us. I'll never forget, he ran up to my buddy Danny, said, hey, where are you going with that stuff? Danny said, we're stealing it, sir. He goes, have a nice day. <laughs> we did a big meth cook. I can take you to the house right now. It's on Junior Deputy Road, Little Rock, Arkansas. And they had bowls of methamphetamine. People were just, you know, dipping it out, shooting it, snorting it, smoking it. And I was sitting on a blue recliner, and my buddy Danny walked up to me. He said, roll your sleeve up. You're going to feel something like a pin sticking you, and you'll be higher than you've ever been before in your life. I rolled my sleeve up, and he took a U100 insulin syringe, and he put it in my vein. When I seen that blood shoot up into that vein, I was addicted right then. From that moment on, anything that I could do to, to put in a spoon and draw up in a U100 insulin syringe is what I would do. It meant more to me than my family. It meant more to me than jobs. It meant more to me than anything in this world. It meant more to me, more to me than my children. And I would go and we would do everything we could to get high. I mean, I've strong-armed people. I'm not proud of this. I'm ashamed of it, but I want you to see what God done. Armed robberies, burglaries, carjacking, everything you could think of. So the only way I could keep up with my habit is I began to cook methamphetamines. And for 10 years, I was a meth cook with the law all after me all the time. I was pulling down into this house in Benton, Arkansas. We was going to do a, a meth cook. And when I pulled in, this man, you have to understand, people all the time trying to rob me, kill me. They would get mad at you if you didn't sell them no dope and turn you into the police. And I was pulling into this house, and this man jerked open the car door, and he put a pistol in the car. And I thought he was trying to rob me, so I grabbed him, and we began to fight for this gun. And I finally got it away from him, and I threw it outside of my car, and when I did, a badge popped out on a chain. Now, I don't know how they are up here in Ohio, but in Arkansas, the popo get mad and you take their gun from them. Any of y'all ever been pepper sprayed? I just now, this year, started saying, pass the pepper. Because I didn't want nothing to do with pepper. I've been pepper sprayed so many times. Well, they jerked me out of the car, and I mean, they put a whooping on me, pepper spraying me, hitting me with sticks. They finally get me handcuffed, and here's something else I don't understand. As they was putting me in the car, they said, watch your head, sir. <laughs> I'm thinking, now, where was that fellow a while ago? What do you mean, watch my head? You just hit it with a stick three times. That's funny, though. I don't care who you are. Charged with five class Y felonies. 
In Arkansas, that's 10 to 60 years apiece. And while I was going on trial for these felonies, the drug task force raided my house, and I had a full-blown meth lab going in my house. Now, my son had just turned 18, and I hadn't seen him in a while. He came by to see me. He left and was waiting at the end of the driveway, but when they came in, they swept him up, and they charged him with everything that they charged me with. You can't live for God for yourself, my God. You need to live for God for your children. Let me tell you something. It takes a man to live for God. It takes a woman to live for God. That boy's going to grow up and be just like you, Dad. Come on, that girl's going to grow up and be just like you, Mom. Usually I have my family with me, and I got my grandchildren. You know why I have my grandchildren? Because I had to go to court and take them from their mother. Because all their mother ever knew of a dad was a drug addict and an alcoholic. Just maybe, Pastor. Just maybe. If I'd have had him in church, my daughter's been to prison. My son's been locked up so many times. But let me tell you something. You need to live for God for your family. It's far more reaching than you. Come on, it's not about you. Well, they raided my house, and I had a full-blown meth lab. And they charged me with eight more Class Y felonies. Thirteen Class Y felonies. You have to understand, I've been to jail more times than Otis a drunk on Mayberry. I don't know if y'all. And I never would call Charles Mahaney to come get me. But my dad heard that his grandson got arrested, and he was down there picking him up, so I got a ride with him. You have to understand, my dad thought tact was something you nailed rug down with. He was not a tactful guy. He called me ignorant my whole life. I thought my birth certificate would say, Nick Ignorant Mahaney. <laughs> and we get in the car, and my dad looks over at me. He said, boy, you have ruined your life. Your life's over. He said, you're a dead man walking. You're going to die in prison. I'm thinking, man, sugar-coated just a little bit. <laughs> he told me his exact words were, if you're not going to find somebody to help you, and if you're not going to let God help you, you better find somebody that can, get, that can figure this out for you because your life is over. So here I was, 38 years old. I had done some of the most horrible things. I wouldn't even begin to tell from the pulpit some of the things I've been a part of because I'd be so embarrassed and ashamed. 38 years old, my life was going to be over. My life was going to be over. I was going to die in prison. You see, the devil had told me, God doesn't want you. Your drugs that you make, you've broken up too many homes, all the violence you've committed against people, God doesn't want you. I got out of the car, and my dad said, you need to find help, son. I looked at my dad. Something turned to me that night. I said, Dad, do you think God would forgive me? I watched a big tear run down his face. You know what he said? Come home, son. Come home, son. I went in the house that night, and I laid down. And when I laid down, all I could hear was amazing grace. How sweet the sound. That saved, saved a wretch.
like me. I got up and I couldn't take it. I began to drink and I began to shoot dope. And for the next couple of months, all I could, every time I laid my head down, I would, all I would hear was those old songs that was playing at the campground back when I left. And it got to where I was either going to commit suicide or I was going to get free of the dope. You see, my plea bargain was 40 to life. My life was over. And I, didn't, I knew I was going to prison. I just didn't want to go in there so messed up like I was. So I decided to go to a, a drug rehab in Little Rock. It's called Serenity Park. When you walk in, the jail's on the left. The cemetery is on the right. And they tell you to look at both of these places because if you don't get help, that's where you're going to end up at. And I, I was up all night shooting, shooting up dope, and I walked in high out of my head, and there was a little girl sitting behind the desk, and I said, my name's Nick Mahaney. I'm here to check in. She said, Nick Mahaney? She stood up. said, is your dad Charles Mahaney? I thought, oh, Lord, here we go again. She said, that's my favorite preacher. I'm calling my mom. We're about to pray for you, boy. I can't tell you how sick I got. It's the most horrible sickness that you could ever have is dope sickness. And the DTs and the, and the drugs trying to come out of your body. And I knew all I had to do was go across the street to the liquor store, get me a bottle of whiskey, and call one of my friends, and everything would be all right. It was about seven days into it, and I just couldn't take it anymore. And I decided that I was leaving. And as I was walking by, the bank of phones going up to my room to pack my stuff. The phone rings and this guy says, hey, Nick, it's for you. And I answer it and it's my dad. And I told him, I said, I'm sorry. I said, I let you and mom down that I, I, I'm leaving. I can't do this. You know what my dad said? Repent, ignorant. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. And slammed the phone down. He hung up on me. I've never been so mad in my life. I walked to my room. I'm like, that fat rascal. <laughs> Called me ignorant my whole life. Top of the stairs, first door on the left. That was my room. When I walked up there and put my hand on the door, I could hear this voice inside of me speaking, Repent. Repent. You've done everything else. Repent. You see, I was a tarot card reader. I was into all that witch stuff and worship, praying to the devil and doing all kinds of things. I was possessed by demons. They were inside of me. And when I put my hand on that door, something was about to change, and them spirits knew it. When I opened that door, I know God's omnipresent. He's everywhere. But I want to tell you, that day in March of 2004, he was so real in that room, it was like I could see him over my bed. And I dropped down on my knees, and I crawled over to my bed. And I just lifted up my hands. I said, God, I don't even know if you know who I am. This is Nick Mahaney. And if you will forgive me and take these demons from me and take all these addictions from me, what you called me to do when I was a little boy, I promise whether I'm in prison or whether I'm free that I'm going to live for you.
And immediately I began to speak in another language as the Spirit of God gave me the utterance. Can I tell you, as I began to speak in tongues, demons began to tear out of my body. As I began to speak in tongues, drug addiction left my body. As I began to speak in another language, come on, bigotry and racism left my body. Come on, that old man, Nick Mahaney, died. And now you look at the new man, Nick Mahaney. Well, I was excited about the new man, but the courts wanted the old man. That's what I told the judge. I said, man, I'm a new man. He goes, well, the old man's got eight, uh, 13 class Y felonies. So my plea bargain was 40 to life. And me and my father was in this little room with my attorney. And he said, I, he said everybody knows you've changed. He said, I'm going to go to the judge, and I'm going to plead for mercy, and maybe I can have you out of prison in 25, 30 years. So he left. He wasn't gone five minutes. Now, if you ever go to court, just let me warn you. When your attorney goes and is right back in five minutes, that ain't a good sign. I'm, I, I'm not Perry Mason or nothing, but he come, he come, he left and he come back and when he walked in, he was all, he had a, he was shocked. You could see that whatever went on shocked him. And my dad said, oh Lord, what happened? You see, there's a program in Arkansas called drug court and if you've never had violent charges, which that crossed me off, if you never had, wasn't a known drug dealer, that crossed that one off, you just go down the list, and I didn't qualify for none of it. My attorney, when he left, said, you have zero chance at drug court. We're just going to plead for mercy somewhere else. He walked in, and he said, you're not going to believe this. He said, the judge and the prosecutor was sitting there, and they looked up, and I never even said a word to him, he said. And the judge goes, go ask your client if he'll take drug court. Can I tell you, that's a miracle from God right there. So what happened is I had to plead guilty, which I was guilty. And they sentenced me to 144 months times 25% if I failed drug court. That's a long time, y'all. Well, they gave me, a, I went to drug court, and they gave me a, a therapist. Y'all need to pray for Lisa Ramsey. She was Nick Mahaney's therapist. And I promise you this, she is not in therapy anymore. <laughs> I run the woman. I'd been going, you know, in front of her for about a month and a half, and I was always witnessing to her. And it was all known all over Little Rock in the Benton area that I was a disruptor at the AA meetings because <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm an alcoholic. Oh, yeah, you are. Oh, no, I'm not. Had one guy poking me in the chest. I said, you're an alcoholic. I said, look, God delivered me from alcohol and drugs, but he didn't deliver me from you poking me in the chest. <laughs> so I came to Lisa's office one day. And all of a sudden, she pushed her chair back and said, that's it, Nick Mahaney, I've had enough. I thought, uh-oh. She said, if you'll learn that song, Who Am I, I'll come to your church. So I found the soundtrack, 
she came to church that night. It just so happened my dad was preaching. She walked in, fine Catholic lady. She looked up at her baptistry and said, what's that? I, I said, well, we can't drink our baptistry. We got to dunk you down in it. She said, you ain't getting me in there, Nick Mahaney. Guess what? I baptized her in Jesus' name. <laughs> baptized her husband in Jesus' name. At one time, we had about 90 people in drug court, and I promise you, I'd baptize at least 80 of them in Jesus' name. <laughs> Parole officers, probation officers, I baptized everybody that come in contact with me in Jesus' name. August 2005, I was finally going to get to graduate from something, drug court. <laughs> hey, you got to have a diploma from somewhere. <laughs> Hadn't helped me get many jobs yet. but I'd, they, they were making a big push for drug court. And a lot of people couldn't believe that I was going to graduate from drug court. So, it was a big, big deal. They had all the newspapers. They had all the television cameras there. Somebody said, what's the UPC going to say? I said, how are they going to know? <laughs> that's funny. I'm sorry. <laughs> Even when I'm sick, that's funny. And the day before, Judge Arnold had called me into his chambers. And I thought they were going to revoke everything. And when I went in there, he had big old tears. He said, Nick Mahaney, he said, I've never seen anybody's life change like yours has changed. Because you have to understand that he wasn't a fan of Nick Mahaney. I'd been in front of him several, several times. He said, this is unprecedented. He said, but would you bring a piano into the courtroom and open it up tomorrow with amazing grace? That courtroom seat, about 150 people, and they were packed in there. And they said, all rise. And I walked out behind that judge, and I lifted my hands. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Man, I looked back there, and my dad had his hands raised. Brother Lumpkin, they had tears running down their face. I looked over at my little mom. She's going, whoop, 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 whoop. I thought, uh-oh. I'm going to have to explain tongues interpretation to Judge Arnold. <laughs> and then I finished it with, I'm free, praise the Lord, free at last by the Gaithers. That judge walked down. He had a stack of charges that he had to carry with both hands. He walked up to me, and this is what he said. Nick Mahaney, these are yours. You can shred them. You can burn them. You can frame them but I find no fault in you. You're a free and clear man. <laughs> 2,000 years ago, at a place called Calvary, Jesus Christ took my charges, and they put a nail in his hands, and he said, Nick Mahaney, I shed my blood for you. You're a free and clear man. Let's all stand as the musicians come. You see, that same Jesus is in this place right now. 
I'm reminded of a story I read about a young man in Arkansas that went canoeing down a river. The rapids flipped his boat over and he was trapped and caught and he was fighting just to get up above the water and get a breath. He was on the verge of drowning. There was an older gentleman that seen it and he paddled his boat, his canoe down towards this young man and pulled him up on the bank, saved his life. But we all know the story. Maybe you lived it yourself. This young man got in with the wrong crowd. And at first, it was all innocent. It's just a 22 ounce and a blunt, you know, nothing major. But it wasn't long until he was hopelessly and helplessly addicted to drugs. Finally, after all the crimes he had to commit to keep up with his habit, the law caught up to him. Arrested him, charged him with several felonies. He went through his court proceedings and now it was going to be his day of reckoning when they would sentence him. Unbeknownst to this young man, the judge that had been over his case had been called away in an emergency and they brought in another judge. When they said all rise and this new judge walked out, it was the same man that had pulled him to safety about five, six years ago. Saved his life. He taps his lawyer and says, you know, I got history with this man. I may have a chance. And they stand before the judge, and he throws the book at him. And he asks the young man, do you have anything you'd like to say? And he said, yes. Your Honor, don't you remember me? He said, I remember you. That day I was your Savior. Today I'm your judge. You see, I'm a product of mercy and grace. But when you take that last breath, mercy and grace is over. You go to funerals and they say, well, he's meeting a merciful God. No, he's not. They're meeting a judge. Come on. It's appointed to every man to die. Then the judgment. Why would you leave this place if there's any sin in your life? This may be the last service you ever walk into. It wouldn't be the first time that the last service I preached to somebody and the the pastor calls me and says, you won't believe this. You're trying to scare me. Yeah, I'm trying to scare you. Time's running out on you. When you got a chance to meet him as your savior and you keep trampling your feet through his blood, when you can meet him today as your judge. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Come on, surely there's somebody in this place. After I've bared my soul, after I've been transparent, surely there's somebody in this place that needs to talk to Jesus right now. Come on, where are you? Where are you? Don't sit in that pew any longer. Come on, somebody make a move. Maybe your children's life depends upon it. Come on, maybe your children's life depends upon it. Come on, this altar's open. Come on, if you feel like that, that, you feel like the Lord's tugging at your heart, you need to come down here and begin to repent and ask God to clear your sins out of your life. Listen to me. If you raised your hands and you had a lost loved one, I feel this right now. I want you to walk out of your seat, lift your hands. Come on, you lifted your hands, you got a lost loved one. Listen to me. 
And I want you to call their name every step to this altar. Come on, every step, call their name out. Come on, every step, call their name out. And come on, as they begin to move to the front, you need an encounter with Jesus Christ. You begin to come to the front with them. Come on, there's a revival about to happen. Come on, our loved ones are coming home. Come on, don't let the devil say it's over. It's not over. 